Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But today we are in week two of our brand new series that's being taken through the book of Galatians, a six chapter letter that's found in the New Testament. We're going to be working our way through this. But this series is emphasizing and trying to massage into us the fact that we believe that Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. That if you try and add anything else into that equation that you're stripping the gospel of its power, that Jesus is our trump card, Jesus is our, our be all and end all, that we are people that boast in Christ and Christ alone. And we are saying from the scriptures we've seen that's the major theme of the book of Galatians. And we want to walk through it, uh, through the text of Galatians uh, for the next six, seven weeks. Make sure we understand this book and are able to apply it to our lives so that we will be different and changed forever. If you are not in a life group, I want to emphasize, get involved in a life group. They meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Some groups on Wednesdays around the city. You've got a large number of meet in Milton, one in the city. We've got some in Tableview and Parklands. We're working on ones that are going into the outer lying areas as well. But we want to emphasize that life groups are important. Why? Because we are walking through these texts on Tuesday. And this series actually we're walking with whatever we're preaching on a Sunday. We work through it the week before. So it's like the spoiler alert. You get the inside scoop of what is coming up next. And we are really getting into the scripture and wrestling it together in a community. I want to encourage you that that the scriptures were never written to us just as individuals. None of the letters in the Bible are written to one person. The most of them are written to the church. This letter in particular in Galatians is written to the church that meets in Galatia. It's supposed to be read and applied corporately together. So I want to encourage you, get in a life group, even if you want to say, I'm going to be in it for just this series. Give it a try for this series and say, God, would you do something through this book? And if you don't like it off that, Here's a disclaimer. You can step back. But I encourage you. I believe God wants to do something in us that big things happen in small groups. So I want to encourage you in that. Just a bit of context to this book. If you missed missed last week, who wrote this book? We asked three questions, big questions around any book in the Bible. Helpful. Who wrote it? A man named Paul. Formerly the artist, formerly known as Saul. He was an apostle who had a radical encounter with Christ. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. He encounters uh, Jesus, and then he goes and he plants church. He preaches the gospel to those who are far from God. He goes very far. He was the first man that took the gospel out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, out of that the Jewish context into Gentile areas. And this was one of the churches that he planted in Galatia. And who did he write it to? These guys. He plants this church. He, they get, accept Christ. They, they fall in love with Jesus. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're radical for Christ. He leaves, and the whole reason why he's writing this letter, what is the context, is the fact that he has heard rumors have come back to him that a whole group of people called the Judaizers have come in his wake. And they've heard, they, they've met this group of Gentile Christians who are so free and so full of God and loving what Jesus is doing in their midst. They, they can't believe how good news the good news is. They get there, and the Judaizers come and say, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But actually, Paul didn't tell you about circumcision, hey. Oh, bad luck. There's actually a little bit more. It's not just Jesus is a good start, but there's actually extra stuff. This is a Jewish faith. So you need to celebrate the Jewish festivals. You need to be circumcised. You need to do the Jewish things, and then you'll be fully in to Christianity. So the Judaizers came in, and actually Paul hears this, and he is so angry at this. This is not just like, oh, you know what? They'll get through it. No, he's angry because this is a, this is a primary issue that they've cut in 
and they're trying to steal the joy and the freedom that the Galatians have with Jesus by trying to add into the equation Jesus plus circumcision equals everything. Or Jesus plus Jewishness equals everything. Jesus plus this or that equals this. But he is saying, no, no, no. It's Jesus plus nothing. Try and dilute the gospel by even a little bit. You do not have the pure gospel. It's a perversion. That's the context Paul's writing in. And that's how we get to today where we're going to read our text. And I'm going to ask you what we do every week here when we read scripture to stand to your feet one final time today. It's Galatians Chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 24. The reason we stand to our feet is because we believe the Scriptures are the highest authority in our lives. I really pray that as I preach, you don't take what I say as the Word of God, that you you take it and you wrestle with it. Go take it to Scripture. If what I'm saying is false in the light of Scripture, don't believe me. My authority comes from the Word of God, not by any, any other thing. No other reason do I have authority except from the Word of God. So I want to point us to it. Let's read it together. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24. I'll read, but open your hearts, because we participators, not spectators. Number, verse 11 says this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal the Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea, though in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Let's pray. Father, today we humble ourselves before your word and we thank you, God, would your word speak to our hearts. I thank you, Jesus, for this amazing community of faith taking care of each other's needs, serving one another, setting up early, preparing this venue for for those who are far from you to come into might find you. I thank you for all these amazing things you've called us to be in community. But God, I thank you that the central thing is that we are people who are in love with Jesus. And I thank you today that you would strip away everything that easily entangles and holds us back from the true freedom that is found in Christ. I thank you, God. We open our hearts wide because your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat this morning? When I was a a lot littler than I am now, I still only weigh a a fraction of what most people weigh. I'm a little guy blown over by the, the wind. But when I was much smaller at junior school, I was sent with a lunchbox to school every day. And in that lunchbox, I was the youngest of three boys 
So by the time that I got the lunch boxes, I think my parents were just slapdash with those, those sandwiches. Those Samis had peanut butter, a cut in the middle, the crust was still left on, and they were chucked into a, a, an empty ice cream box left over. That's what I went to school with most days. Now you see, what happens at break times though is that I started to get to know what other people had in their lunch. And there was one lad called Neil Fairley. And Neil Fairley had the lunches of all lunches. In junior school, he had, everything was in cling wrap. I'm like, you know, whoa, this is amazing, exciting. He had marshmallows, the pink and white ones. He had a thing called zoo biscuits. Does anyone remember zoo biscuits? Oh, classics, gorgeous. He had fizzes, the green and the pink ones. Just was a treat. He had, he had little bo- bags of popcorn. He had little treats. And just to be healthy, he had a pear and some grapes that were wrapped neatly. I was just like, what an amazing lunch. But the amazing thing was that I, I, I knew Neil fairly. And I was quite good at uh, possibly, I had the gift of the gab. That's uh, my name as well. Um, I had the ability to convince anyone that what I had in my lunchbox was better than what he had in his. And on numerous occasions, I managed to trade him. We did this trade, and this barter system went where I would give him one or two of my peanut butter sandwiches, and I would one, one day take the marshmallows. Maybe the next day, the zoo biscuits. And we'd do this trade, and a couple of times, I actually did the full thing where I got, the, he, I got his whole lunchbox, he got my sandwiches. Please, no one tell my mom and dad. But this amazing trade would happen, and I would be so thrilled at my geniosity, which is not even a word, my genius. Geniosity is not a word. My genius, because the fact that I was able to trade peanut butter sandwiches, bland, boring peanut butter sandwiches, for a lunch of champions. And I was able to do this on numerous occasions, and I remember thinking to myself, what is wrong with this guy that he would trade that for this? just did not make sense. The context of the book of Galatians is basically the same idea. That Paul is so shocked that the Galatians would have all this and they would trade it for something so bland, something so boring, something that would actually, has the guise of bringing strength, but actually was actually enslaving them and pulling them into a cage and not bringing them to freedom. Paul is going, why would you make that trade? This morning I want to preach on something called the trade because I believe this is not just for the Galatian church. I believe it's for you and I because when I look at my own life and I see the glorious good news and freedom that Jesus promises in the scripture towards me, I've seen how often I have made stupid trades for just religious observance. The form, the Bible says saying, living godly but denying its power. And also on the same breath where I've settled for just apathy and doing whatever I want because you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And I slip and slide between the two realities, making these foolish trades. And I say, I believe as we understand what the gospel has got to say to us today, that today we're going to know the true nature of the greatest trade on our behalf. So looking at this series this morning, and the scripture, there's this, in verse 13, if you look at that scripture, I, I, I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles because in the next series, this week, this next six, seven weeks of the series, I really believe this book is going to transform our lives. But there's a, a word there, Paul is talking in my Bible, in the NIV, in the NLT, it says, Paul says, you have known my former way of life. My former life, my former way of life. I've underlined that in my Bible. Former way of life. Because what Paul is trying to present to us here is he's saying the power of the gospel that is not present in man's gospel of effort and discipline is that it can take our current life and make it a former way of life. 
Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, can take the brokenness and apathy, the fear, the mistrust, the, 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 the anger of your current life. Only the gospel can take that and make it a formal way of life. Every other religious system gives you a way to manage that until you die. But only Jesus walks in the story and says, I can make that a formal way of life if you trust me. I want to say this morning, regardless of how you've come in, regardless of how you've walked in here today, the offer on the table, the trade on the table in the gospel that God presents there is that you don't have to leave like you came. You don't have to leave like you arrived this morning. And that's why I believe Paul, who's writing this book, this letter to the Galatian church, is an incredible case study for us here. Because in verse 13 and 14, he sets out two realities of his former way of life. He tells us here three things, three things in this text. He tells us that number one, he was a murderer. I don't know if you look at that text. If you look at it, it's this most profound, profound thing. We, we, we examine that scripture, verse 13 and 14. Paul is saying that he violently opposed the way of Christ. Violently. This is not a man who had just a blog or Facebook post. I despise those Christians. Send. Hmm. Angry blog. Put a frowny face at the end. No, no, no. This was a man who didn't just have a blog and hide behind a computer screen. This was a man that went out purposefully, became a reputation that he killed Christians for a living. This man, Paul, is defiantly saying, my former way of life was that I murdered people who were in this way of life. He was a poster boy for the Jewish faith. But in the same sentence, if you look, verse 14, he says, I was a murderer. And on the other side, he says, and I was a Jew of Jews, renowned for the way I kept the law. This was a man on the one side of the, of the gospel was crazy. He was saying, if you think you're too far, if you think you've done gone too much, you've gone too far, far away from the grace of God, you've walked away into sin and rebellion. Paul says, I go on better. I killed people who said they followed Jesus. Then on the other side, he was saying, but also I was a guy who kept the law faultless. His, his credentials, if you want to know, are found in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul boasts about how amazing of a Jew he was. He was studied under the best guy, Gamaliel. He was a man who kept the law. He was a man who was known. He was a poster boy of the Jewish faith. They were saying, this man is going to go so far. He's going to be a Jew of Jews. And he presents these two as formal ways of life. He presents a man on one side. The word we use is license. A man that just did whatever he wanted. Was God unto himself. And a man on the other side who was a legalist. Who felt if he kept all the laws, he would please God. In Paul, he had both. There was a man here who said on the one side, I'm so far gone, God can't save me. And on the other side, he was a man who actually said, I'm so good, God can't save them. He's, you, know, you know those people? Have you ever met a person, a self-righteous person, who's able to point out your sin, but will never, accept, never be able to know what's wrong with them? Am I the only one who's met someone like that? Just, just checking. But he has the understanding. Actually, um, a man, the, the theologians, they say these two understandings of the gospel is that there's the, on the one side of the, of the true gospel of Christ is this thing called a swamp where you just fall away into, actually, I can do whatever I want because he'll forgive me. Jesus will forgive me. Yeah? I can do whatever I want. There's a swamp that masquerades as freedom. I'm free because I can do whatever I want. But it's not true freedom. And on the other side is a cage called legalism, called 
called the doing things by the letter of the law and saying, but I'm safe in here. I'm safe, you know, I'm away from the evil of the world. But actually masquerades as a type of freedom away from doing the dodgy things. But actually it's not true freedom. You're in a cage or a swamp when actually Jesus is saying there's a, another way, the true gospel way. And we get suckered into these trades all the way through our life. Here's the understanding, is that these understandings of the gospel, that actually I can just do what I want and just slip and slide around. And also, actually, we've got to keep the law. We've got to keep strong. We've got to tick the, the list off and make sure that we're doing all the things that God has told us to do. Both ideas are false gospels. Paul is saying it that strongly. He's not saying they're options or expressions of the gospel. He's saying they are perverse gospels. So much so, he says these things are as bad as witchcraft. How do I know that? Chapter 3, Paul says this of them. He says, who has bewitched you? Not who has just taken you on a, a maturity journey. No, that's witchcraft, he says. This is how strong Paul is in the book of Galatians. And this is what we're trying to wrestle with today. This morning, I want to give us three trades and then we'll land three trades. I want to zone in on verse 15. And it's the scripture that has, that about six, seven years ago, this one scripture changed my life and the way I follow Jesus. And I want to take us through it this morning in three simple ways because I believe we are serious about our freedom in Christ Jesus. I'm serious. So the first one that I want us to make, it'll be on the screen here, is the first trade I would beg you to make this morning. Is trade for the, make the trade from but when I to but when God. Make the trade from but when I to but when God. The scripture in verse 15 starts, Paul, he's saying his former way of life. I was a murderer. I was in the swamp. I was a legalist. I was a Jew of Jew in the cage. I did them both. But when God. Verse 15 starts. Now, I want to make it clear this morning that what God is offering you and I, He's not offering a Gabe 2.0 version. Christianity is not a, a two, Gabe 2.0 life or Gabe 2.0 freedom. You know what I mean? You know, with the iPhones, you get the upgrade and iPhone 7 comes out and we're not too sure what's different to iPhone 6, but it's more expensive and maybe a couple tweaks. Christi- religion sells us that thing. Come and make just a couple tweaks and then you'll be okay. God's not offering us that. That trade is not on the table. What's happening here is that He's not even offering us a gym contract. I, I understood the as well, you know. You know, gym contracts these days that say have these incentives. If you do this and this and this and you meet your goals, we'll reward you. Work the system. And, and people learn to work the system, you know. And you see people go walk in the gym, zoop, they don't even do the work and they walk out just so they get the rewards. And we think we can end up, we put that thinking on how God works. If I just work the system, if I just toe the line, you don't have to point out to people who do that as well. Eh? No, I'm joking. But I think that's what we do. We start to work the system. If I do this, 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 God will bless me then. Which is a false gospel. Which is not what Jesus came to bring. Here's the understanding. I believe we often tell testimonies like this. We get sucked into this thinking and testimonies are like this. People say their long story of how rotten they were. I was this, debauchery. Da, 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 da. And then God saved me and life is good now. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. It's actually that's God is trying to get us away from the but when I and move us to the but when God emphasis on what He's doing. Here's my 
thesis understanding here is that we are obsessed with our history while Jesus is obsessed with our destiny. We are a people who are obsessed with where we've been, where Jesus is obsessed with where he's going to take us. Here's the understanding. Religion, legalism stands at the door and you arrive home and religion says, where have you been? Come here. I smell alcohol on your breath. Is that smoke? You've been with them again. You've been with them again. Where have you been? And here's the understanding that Jesus stands at the door and he welcomes us home and he says, let me tell you what I've got for you. Come, come, come. Let me show you what I've got for you. Come, there's a future for you. Because religion always wants to point to where we've been, where Jesus says, I want to point to where you're going. When we're holding on to but when I, we're always looking over our shoulder at what is haunting us, what is dogging us, what is keeping us back. When actually Jesus, Paul is writing and saying, will you start to make the trade that your life is defined not by but when I, but but when God. Here's the understanding for me in a bigger way is that I, we sing this song, you're a good, good father. I think a lot of Christians sing in the understanding, you're the God, God father. They've traded the good father for the Godfather. The Godfather, you know the movie? The Italian mafia mob boss who says, let's make an arrangement. And if, and if you toe the line, then hey, you're in with him. <laughs> and if not, duh, horse's head in your bed. He's the father. He's the good father, not the Godfather. He's Father God. That's who he is. And this is the amazing understanding. Say, he's not saying of you, but when you. He's saying, but when I. The chief moment in your story and my story is what Jesus did for us, not what we have done for him. Can I tell you, you can slave your whole life. If you even are sitting here today and you're sitting, maybe you're sitting during worship and you're making notes, I must download the Bible app um, straight away after this. Actually, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try harder this week. I'm going to do well. You're not hearing me correctly. Because your response mustn't be, but when I, even in a good way, we think, but when I get out of here, then I can start getting my right life right. No, in this moment, allow God to come and settle this in your heart. We often live in, good, I feel a little bit guilty. Let me work it out this week, my guilt. Jesus says, no, I'm coming in this moment to meet with you now. Would we trade the but when I for the but when God? Secondly today, second trade is, can we trade? If we click to the next one, Sarah. Can we make the trade from I chose God to He chose me? Can we make the trade that I chose God for God chose me? In the 90s, we had a famous Christian song. And it was a good one. Nice, catchy tune by the band Delirious. And they're good to the chorus. And they're saying, I found Jesus. It's like a nice song. I like this. I found Jesus. The only problem is it's theologically flawed. Because he was never hiding. I always go wonder, like, what is the image? Jesus hiding behind a bush. Oh, they found me. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Now they can write that cool song. No. It's wrong because he hasn't been hiding. He has been seeking you out, pursuing you relentlessly. Charles Spurgeon calls his mercy and his grace, that Psalm 23 describes for us, as the hound dogs of heaven. They'll pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. He's not a God at arm's length holding out. He's a God that's been pursuing us. And John Wesley called it the prevenient grace of God. The prevenient grace. The grace that doesn't only kick in one day when you said when you chose Him. 
when you said yes to Jesus, okay, I've got grace for you. No, the Bible tells us that we could not choose Him because we were dead. And it's the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if while you were wicked, while you were still running from God, His grace was wooing you back. Why? Salvation is His work completely. Because a dead man cannot choose anything. I've been to a few funerals. It's the family that choose what they're going to eat. The dead guy can't. This is not to make little of those moments, but to understand that spiritually we were told we were dead and that Christ waded into our coffin and said, you're mine. And when we understand this, this, this amazing notion for us, because actually all other religions, and I include the moralistic form of Christianity that parades around saying we, we are Christianity, which is not. All other religions present God at the top saying, make your way to me. Every other religion, from Islam to Hinduism, from Buddhism, from, from, from whatever type of lens you look at, moralistic Christianity says, if we work hard, if we obey, 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 we will get to God. When Christianity, the true understanding of Jesus, is this, that He doesn't meet us like Zeus at the end of our Herculean efforts at the top of our strength. Well done! Here's a reef. Come on in. No, no, no. He meets us at the bottom. Jesus came as a man to meet us in our weakness, not in our strength. Let me tell you, Christian, Christianity is the only religion that says we get God because of what God has done for us. Every other religion says do for Him and then He'll do for you. Every religion, that's the basis of it. Christianity is the only one that says God has done for you. Come on in. We've got to have this in our heart because everything in our heart, once you back out of this trend, everything inside of us goes, but surely there's a catch. When's the catch coming? Let me tell you this. He chose me and He chooses me every day. He chooses me every day. Christ every day chooses me in Himself. And here's the great news about that is that if, if it was up to me to choose Him, it puts the onus on me to keep choosing Him every day. And then we've got to understand that I'm in and then I'm out. And then I'm in, and then I'm out. And if I don't do well today, oh, I'm out. Oh, my word. Good luck. And we really hope that when the bus one day hits us at the end of our lives, that we hope that we are in on that day, because otherwise, goodness knows where we're going to go. At least to a lot of insecure Christians. And here's the truth. That is why preachers kept the Bible out of their parishioners' hands for thousands of years. Because they could distort the truth, and they could control this is the truth of his historical fact that Christian, uh, churches controlled their people with fear and manipulation because they did not know the truth. And they had a system, so you come to God through the Pope. You come to God through the pastor. You come to God through another person's faith. When they said, no, you don't, you come through Jesus alone. Not even your own strength, in His strength. That's why I say, please can we be in the Word. Men and women died for this thing to set us free. Let me tell you the story. As I land this understanding, I've said it many times. When I lived in Zim, we used to come on holiday to South Africa. And as uh, three little boys, my parents would take us to the promised land, a.k.a. Toys R Us. And we'd get in there, and my parents would just sit us down and say, Listen, guys, we don't have a lot of bucks. One toy each. We're like, okay. And they're like, 
and go. And we had 30 minutes. It was like Reggie's rush, but we had 30 minutes. So up and down the aisles looking. We'll go, oh, my word, PlayStation. No, 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 no. And, and just our eyes were caught in every aisle. Excitement, excitement. What are we going to choose? One toy. It's like torture for children. Torture. And we'll go, and I'll take this one. No, 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 no. What about this? And eventually, after 30 minutes, my dad would do the silent dog whistle that only radiates could hear. And we'd come back, and we'd meet him at the aisle. And with trembling hands and with joy, we'd say, Dad, this, this is the one. I chose this one. And it was such a delight to see that one go through the till, and that was the one that we had chosen. Can I tell you, this is the joy of understanding the Father. The Father, he says, but when God, who chose me before my mother's womb, not dependent on what I've done. Not dependent on how I came out. Do you not go again? Let me see if he's a redhead or blonde. Not God saying, let me see if he's a natural leader or not. Not, let me see if he has a propensity to sin or not. No, before your mother's womb, knowing the choices you would make, God with delight said, I chose you. I chose you. Can we make the trade and understand that I did not choose God. He chose me. This puts confidence in our hearts finally this morning from this text can we make the third and final trade is that I tra- make the trade that from I work for his pleasure to I work from his pleasure it's not semantics this is huge I work for his pleasure not working from his pleasure if you if you got a pen or you get home, underline whenever you see in the Bible when it says God's pleasure. We gotta be a people that know what pleases God. I've got in my Bible everywhere I've underlined what the pleasure of God because I want to know what pleases God. And in this text here, it says that it was God's pleasure to reveal his son in Paul, who was the murderer, Paul who was the legalist. It was God's pleasure to reveal His most prized possession, His Son in Him. There's a story in Luke chapter 15. It's a famous one, but it's a story of the prodigal son. And many would be familiar with this tale, but it's a parable Jesus tells. But there's actually an understanding here we need to know that actually this, uh, this parable is probably misnamed. Because there were two sons in the story two sons. The Bible tells us there was two brothers, the younger and the older. And actually the amazing thing was both brothers. If you go read the text in Luke 15, both boys went to their dad and said, Dad, give us our inheritances now. So both boys, the older and the younger, basically came and said, Dad, we want, wish you were dead. Because boys get the inheritance when their dad dies. They said, we want it now. We don't even wait for them. Give us our inheritance now. We want to live as if you're dead. Both boys, the younger and the older. The younger takes inheritance and goes off into the swamp. And he's and, and, and he spends it on wild living and he lives it up large. He spends his cash and he goes and goes and goes until a credit card says there's nothing left. And it says he came to his senses where? In a pig pen, which was the height of embarrassment for a Jewish child. In the most unclean place, in the most disgusting place, a place where you would be separated from people. He was eating the food of the pigs. Came to his senses and said, actually, I've got to go home. And he starts his journey home. And when he arrives home, he imagined, I can imagine if I was the dad, I'd be, I would have been the father. He said, where have you been? That's what religion says. That's what everything in us that cries up for justice says. Where have you been? Why have you been irresponsible with my money? The boy comes in and is preparing a speech. But before he can even do anything, the father in this story runs to the boy. I can imagine the boy going, oh, here comes dad. He's loading up to deck me. And as the father gets there, the father embraces him. 
takes off his cloak, embarrasses himself by running, because actually the man, the master of the house never ran. And here's the amazing thing, God in the Bible never runs. He's never in a rush. Only time we find in Scripture that he runs is to the sinner coming home. The only time. And he runs there and he puts a cloak over, over him. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a ring on his finger. He says, come on in, enter into my joy. Kill the fattened calf for that which was lost is now found. Let's have a party. This is the father we know. Not the a sour, a lemon sucking father who goes, oh, wonder how my kids are doing. No, a father throws a party for every time somebody comes home. And this amazing thing, the story though, we stop there. We go, ah, great story. There was the other brother, the older brother. And this older brother had taken his inheritance, and I don't know what he had done with it, but he's still, all those years, while the younger brother went off, he worked hard for his dad, worked, 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 and slaved. And when he saw this party going on for his brother, who was thinking of pig pen uh, dirt come home, he was angry. And he went to his dad and said, I've been here all these years, slaving for you, working for you. Not once have you given me anything to celebrate with my friends. Not fair. And the father says these words. He says, my boy, didn't you know always that everything I have has always been yours? It's always been yours. Not to work for, to enjoy. Here's the amazing thing for us. Is that the man Rory Dyer is coming to preach next week. He did the Sharks rugby team's devotionals for a few years while he was in Durban. And a lot of them are Afrikaans guys who come from quite a, a, a quite a theologically a, quite a strong belief in actually you've got to follow God and which is a beautiful thing but can get distorted into the workspace thing and a famous rugby player Rory talked them through the story and one of the rugby players put his hands up and said yeah he says great good story but but if, if we have to choose I'll be the I'll be the good older brother and Rory said no 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 there's no word good there it's the younger and the older brother yeah yeah but I'll, I'll be the good brother though says, no, 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 you don't get the story. And the guy could not get the understanding that both were not enjoying the freedom that God had. And we start to believe this was the lesser of two evils. When actually both were destroying and ripping them away from the true freedom God had for them. And we do that. Here's the understanding. My good friend Brad Clainsmith wrote a song for the band Gangs of Ballet. And their line that echoed out says, We live under warm skies. And this was not an advert for Durban beachfront and their lovely weather, uh, summers and winters. We live under warm skies was a declaration of a father who is not angry, who is not watching us, who is not frustrated or wanting to thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening, hit us when we're out of line. Actually, he is no longer angry. The Bible says that in Jesus, the wrath of the father was absorbed completely. And inside of us, sometimes I go, oh, but, but, but they deserve that. But actually, sir, ma'am, actually, the, what I've understood, the more and more times I've said, they still deserve God's wrath. What I'm actually saying is that, Jesus, you weren't good enough. You weren't good enough to appease the Father. There has to be more. When God says, don't you belittle my son. Don't you dare belittle my son and his finished work on the cross that was perfect thinking that you have to add something to it to make it better. Here's the amazing thing, is that Christ's sacrifice was so perfect, or so enough, so much so that Christ is called the final sacrifice. 
Hebrews tells us that as our priest, our priest, high priest who went in and, and paid the final sacrifice, says once he had done that, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know where Christ is right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not sweating, not anxious, not working. He's done. His job was done. The cross was enough. So this is huge for a Jewish audience. Why? Because priests never sat down while on duty. Because that meant for them there was always another sacrifice to prepare for. There was always another celebration to get ready for. And they said they, by, by ritual, the priest would pass it out because no one would ever be able to sit down. But Jesus, our great high priest, walked in, paid the sign of sacrifice in blood, and he said, it is finished, and he sat down. <laughs> Done. Here's my understanding is he doesn't need your sweat. He doesn't need your straining. He doesn't need your effort and come on, let's work this thing together. No, he wants you to know that you're his pleasure. It was his pleasure to reveal his son in you. His joy, his delight. You see, for us, there's a temptation to see God in two lights. On one hand, if you divert to the swamp, you see him as a wealthy benefactor. who's not really engaged, but he'll pay the bucks for your misdeeds. Ah, covered. Ah, fine, I'll pay them. As a father, I'll come and just pay the bill. Ah, whatever. He, kids will be kids. And we see him as a wealthy benefactor. False. But on the other hand, we see the father as a judge, a stern judge, who is angry and keeping a tally of all our misdeeds. And we've got to keep up with the, 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 the tally and keep moving in the right direction. Or, oh, we never know when he'll say in or out. He has the truth that God, that in Jesus, God was both the judge and the benefactor. But he was, he was finished as the benefactor because in Christ, he paid for our sins. He was the judge who was satisfied with Christ's work. As he finished, it is done, absolved, free. And that way, because Jesus came to reveal not the judge, not the benefactor, but the Father. Now I pray that in this series, you and I would get to know the Father. My prayer this morning, since I've been up at three in this morning because of my beautiful girl, was, Jesus, may I represent you well. If I'm honest, it terrifies me preaching this stuff. Because I know there's been abuses and people hear things and run with things. But I go, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to reveal the Father. And he was most angry, not at the woman caught in adultery, not in the, the, the broken people on the side. He was most angry with the Pharisees who were, who were presenting a false image of his God. He says, that is not my dad. And I pray that you and I would get to see our dad. Not the judge, not the benefactor, but our dad. Because knowing him brings freedom. Here today is the final understanding as we land. Is that the greatest trade ever known was a trade called the Great Exchange. The New Testament talks about this Great Exchange and what Jesus came to do for you and I. The truth is that you and I didn't make the grade, so Jesus made the trade. You and I didn't make the grade, so Jesus made the trade. The only way you can make a trade and you're thinking this morning on any of these three things, making a, a trade and making a decision to believe the, the right understanding, is because He made the ultimate trade on our behalf. Christ came and he fulfilled the law completely. Christ called himself the fulfillment of the law. You see, I'm not doing away with any of it. I'm fulfilling it. 
He didn't abolish it. He didn't put it away. He said, I'm actually fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law. But then also in the same breath, Christ came and he became our sin. He lived a perfect life, but he embraced every single one of us. And on the cross, Jesus Christ became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us he became sin for us. He didn't just take it on. In, in, in my understanding back in the day, I used to think that Jesus took on my sin. Like he wore it like a cloak and he could throw it off. No, the Bible says he became our sin. So that means on the cross, he became a pedophile. On the cross, Jesus became a serial adulterer. On the cross, Jesus became a blasphemer. On the cross, Jesus became a liar, a thief, an angry man. He became a lazy glutton. On the cross, he became our sin. But here's what the great news was. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that he became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's called the great exchange. He said, give me your sin. Give me your efforts. Give me your legalistic attempts to try and believe me. Give it to me and listen to what I'll give to you. My righteousness. That's not fair. He goes, yeah, I know. It's my gift. It's the great exchange. And it's that thing that Paul is fighting for and that we need to fight for because we become the righteousness of God the Father. This morning, I want to tell you today that regardless of how you came in here today, you don't have to leave that way. You can leave different to how you came. We are people who believe that right believing leads to right behavior. Religion says, start behaving and then you'll get into the flow. We say, no. Start believing. Make the trade in your belief systems. From, but when I, to but when God, from I chose God to God chose me, to from I work for His pleasure to work out from His pleasure. And as we read on in Galatians, we start to see what Paul does in this great argument. He says, when we get this right, the fruit of the Spirit comes naturally. If you read on, when we get this right, the behavior falls into place as we f- f- lean into this thing, not into the cage, not into the swamp, but following him, he says, that will un- be an understanding of true freedom. And I'm fighting for that with our brother Paul in the text, for true freedom for every single heart here. And we won't water it down because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I will not dilute it. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray today. For us as a people, as we sit under your word, and it's, it's a weighty word that goes deep into our hearts. I thank you, God, that you, your word comes and attacks uh, not, not, our, not us as humans, it attacks our, our, our thinking. And it comes and it, it pulls down high places, things that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Father. And we take hold of those thoughts. We take captive those thoughts. Even right now, they're saying, but surely, but what about, what about my effort? What about, no. What has God done for me? I'll believe that completely. I pray, Jesus, would you go to every heart? You're pulling people out of the swamp this morning. You're pulling people out of the cage. And you're saying, I've called you to walk in the Spirit in true freedom with me. I thank you, Jesus, as we lean into this text for the next few weeks. You're going to pull back the layers and reveal that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.